She oh. knew I was going to read this book, and she knew I was yeah. going to be like, I have so many unanswered <laughs> questions. Specifically for you. <laughs> Just watch. The dedication is going to say for Nikki, who was super ungrateful about the first book. everyone, welcome to BYOB, the Bring Your Own Book Podcast. I'm Tilly. I'm Kelly. And I'm Nikki. And this week, we're so happy to have Jess Owens as a special guest once again. Hello, Jess. Hello, thank you for having me. Of course, thank you for coming back. We're so glad to have you once again. Yeah. I'm honored, honestly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be. No. We are, oh my God. Yes, be honored. We're, ha- we're honored. Okay, everyone's honored. Uh, in this episode, we're talking about The Marrow Thieves by Cherie Demoline, which was first published in 2017. Just a heads up that this book deals with difficult subjects, including residential schools, racism, sexual assault, genocide, and intergenerational trauma. It's a disturbing but important read, especially for non-Indigenous people in Canada and elsewhere, as we endeavor to honor truth and reconciliation and grapple with the shameful colonial history of our country and the unceded territory that we live on. Here's the publisher's synopsis from Kelly. In a futuristic world ravaged by global warming, people have lost the ability to dream, and the dreamlessness has led to widespread madness. The only people still able to dream are North America's indigenous people, and it is their marrow that holds the cure for the rest of the world. But getting the marrow and dreams means death for the unwilling donors. Driven to flight, a 16-year-old and his companions struggle for survival, attempt to reunite with loved ones, and take refuge from the recruiters who seek them out to bring them to the marrow-stealing factories. <sighs> pretty pretty dark stuff. It's a lot to take in. Yeah. It is a lot to take in. And far too close to reality yes. for it to be yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Nikki, why don't you introduce the drink we've chosen to pair with this episode? I would love to. So the drink we chose for this episode is a locally made berry oolong tea blend. We chose this drink as it felt like something the characters could forage and make with their kettle during their years on the run in the forest. Are yeah, we ready I think to take a berries drink? Berries are forageable. Yeah. Uh, yes, cheers. Right, cheers. I forgot about this part. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, yes, that's lovely. It's definitely oh, like, like I'm not a tea person, but I could drink this tea. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially on a gray day like today, this tea is very lovely and very comforting. Okay, so we're all going to move on to just giving our star ratings out of five. This is just to give you an idea of how each of us enjoyed the book. Um, we do five stars because that's what Goodreads does, but we all have our different reasonings for explaining uh, why we give the ratings that we do. So um, Jess, would you like to start us off? So I gave it four out of five stars. I really enjoyed it. I think what kept it from being five stars, and this is, I feel hesitant to say, but I was really intrigued in the part about what they were doing with like the marrow and I kind of wanted to see that part although I know that probably would be really traumatic probably to write and read because that's like we're hearing about it 
but you don't like see that part necessarily. We just see the people who are running away mm-hmm. from it. So since we're just following these people, and this happens with me with like any kind of like journey or adventure story, sometimes it can just feel slow. So that kind of mm-hmm. took it down from a five to a four, but I still still really enjoyed it. I mean, I read it one sitting and um, oh wow, yeah, it still been thinking about it because it's pretty it's it's heavy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Maybe you'll join us for a not heavy book sometime on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just one Maybe to have sometime. fun. Maybe sometime. Yeah. <laughs> we do read fun books as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh, okay. Um, Kelly, do you want to give your rating? Sure. So uh, this really took me on a ride. Honestly, when I was about a quarter of the way through, I was thinking like two and a half stars. But then as I kept going... I really enjoyed it uh, near Mm -hmm. like closer to the midway point and it is a short book. So I was like, maybe it just needed a bit more. I don't know, but I'm stuck between a three and a half and a four, but probably a three and a half because it took me a very long time to get into it. And the narrative style, um, I don't mind like going back and forth in time. And I actually really enjoyed the coming to chapters Mm -hmm. and like getting that background info on the characters but there were certain moments at the beginning where they would jump ahead in time during their travels and i didn't know when it was because i know that like at one point the main character refers to another character as as having been a baby when they first met and now she's like seven and i'm like what i thought this was like the next day so that was like whoa to me but the writing was really really strong like the prose was very poetic in certain chunks and i found myself once i had the audiobook with the ebook i think that really helped and i really enjoyed it and i was like here for the adventure and like are they gonna save them are they gonna do this they're gonna do that yeah so Mm -hmm. i think i'll give it a three and a half out of five great thanks nikki what did you think Oh, I feel like such a shit person. No, it's okay. Your experience is valid. (laughs) I just like, I gave it a two out of five. And I gave it a two out of five because I feel like it's very important. And I loved the metaphor of it all. And because of Minerva. Mm. And that was kind of it for me. I think I... I think it was a culmination of things. I listened to the audiobook without looking at the physical copy because I started reading the physical and I just wasn't getting into it. And I was like, I think I need somebody to tell it to me. And I have been on a huge fantasy kick lately. And so I was just really not invested in reading this book. I was like, I have other books that I'm reading that I'm... I really want to read so having to take time to read this i was like oh but (laughs) i i have this other book that i'm really enjoying that i'd like to read so i think it was just a culmination of a lot of things i think having the characters running the whole time threw me off a little bit i would have been really interested in hearing and experiencing more about what was kind of going on with the with the marrow stuff because I didn't really feel like I understood what was really happening with that until I was like kind of three quarters of the way through the book. And I was like, Oh, okay. 
it because I really love the premise. And I, mm-hmm. when I read through, basically, when we get to our spoiler section, and we go through the book, when I read that, I was like, this book sounds amazing. But I think it just wasn't written in a way that um, I was going to really enjoy taking it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Um, I, I've read the book twice. So I feel I can definitely understand that the first time going through, if it's not what you're expecting going into it, that you can kind of like have a moment to not really understand like the the vibe of the book. Um, having read it twice, I really found it enriching the second time because there, the, the timeline is really nonlinear and knowing what's going to happen kind of made it a better reread than even a first read, which I, I felt the first read for me was still really good. But I would encourage you to try it again if like in a few years if you, you know, if you would like to, because I think it is it is worth a, a read and, and obviously you took some great things out of it. Yeah, I think definitely I would read it again in the future. I don't know when, but it's it's definitely a book that the after I finished it, the longer I was away from it, the more impact I felt. I feel a lot more strongly about the book now than when I was reading it. So I'm not going to change my star rating because I that's how I felt when I finished. Sure. Yeah. But my feelings now are at like a like a three and a half star about <laughs> it. Not just about just not about like the physical book. <laughs> yeah. If that makes sense. Totally fine. And sometimes you're just not in the, the right space mm-hmm. for a book too. Yeah. Like yeah. it can be really great and it can have a big impact on you, but while you're reading it, you're just like, it's not not for me right now. <laughs> yes. Um that being said, I will talk about my star rating for the book, which I mentioned I've read it twice, and both times it was a five star for me. Um I think the prose is really beautiful and dreamy, especially for the page or the the number of pages I think is only two hundred and thirty. Mm-hmm. And the amount of like emotional connection that I develop towards those characters in like under 300 pages, I think is pretty incredible. Um, As I think we were all kind of talking about the world building and the sci-fi concept is kind of just secondary to the like Mm -hmm. allegory Mm -hmm. and the metaphor of the, the atmosphere and the journey of personal growth for the characters. So I think that might be what threw you off a bit too, Nikki, where it's like the plot that's described and like marketed is not really um, true to what the book is, Mm -hmm. which I think is like a bit of a flaw in the marketing because obviously they want to sell books, so I understand, but it's not really quite true to what the the book is an experience with the characters and it's not so much about the like sci-fi dystopian plot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I was expecting something that was a little bit more removed from mm-hmm. truth mm-hmm. i thought that it would right. be like you would read it and you would get the essence but it really was almost like you were driving down this parallel road of history yeah. but they just put a little tiny sci-fi twist on it which yeah is great and fine but, but it's I uncomfortable think, yeah. i think for me i would have rather just read a non-fiction book really talking and like delving into these issues than having something that was like almost the same, but not mm. at least at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I think that makes sense. And I, I do think this book is um, meant maybe for younger readers as well. <gasps> right. So, oh God. well, I don't know how much younger, I mean, I don't know <laughs> what the plan is, but if I had read something like this in high school, I think it would have really, 
um, informed a lot of my understanding of Indigenous people in Canada. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I found, at least for me, growing up in high school, we had cor- we had classes that talked about Indigenous people as if they were 300 years in the past yeah. and not a continuing people yeah. who are also struggling because of things that settlers have done. Yes. So this, I think, book is really powerful in that way as a kind of an educational tool um, because it is so comfortable, like uncomfortable and close to the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I would say high school, not younger because mm-hmm. it was very <laughs> intense. That's why I went yeah. to Very intense. Because even for me, an adult. Yeah. But it could be good. Um, a good option in place of like, I don't know how it is in Canada, but in the States you read a lot of force read a lot of like classics in high school. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people that happened to me get turned off from reading because of that. And I think this is because mm-hmm. one, they're usually long and this is short. It's like short, right? but like to the point and the same thing. I mean, I don't really remember learning about maybe just a few things about like native Americans or indigenous American people. And yeah, it seemed like, they, they didn't exist anymore. Like, there's only a few left because they don't really talk about them. So, yeah, this would definitely be a good one for... Is it is it categorized as young adult, the book? I think so. I think so. I th- I'm just looking at the some of the awards that it's won, too. Like, the Kirkus Prize winner, oh, yeah. I think, is, um, like, a children's literature award. Well, and at the bookstore, it was in the YA section. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it does say teen, it bo- teen Book Award. So... Mm-hmm. Right. It makes sense. I don't know what it's like in the United States, but reading this book now, like specifically this month. Oh my God. This yeah. And even. being where we are from, uh, Tilly and Kelly and I are in Canada um, in like on the Woolastook River. And we have a very prominent indigenous community here. And We've had some really awful things happen from our provincial government this week. So reading this book and also thinking about those specific things really just brought a whole new level of anger when you think about all of the stuff that happens in this book. So it was a a great, simultaneously really great and really awful time to read this. Yeah. 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 Only on top of this year did I, and I feel so like dumb to say this, but only this year did I really learn about residential schools. So that's really fresh in my memory, even mm-hmm. beginning of the year. And then even learning a couple months later that they existed in the States too. And I'm like, I d- they didn't teach me any of this. So reading that and, you know, the mm-hmm. mentions, I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. No, growing up, I remember, cause I was in French immersion and we had in my class we had geography history and science at times in french and so when i learned about the indigenous people it was in french and i didn't understand anything but then when i look back hearing about residential schools they didn't make it sound like what it actually was it was glossed over it was like oh yes they went to the residential schools and that's where they learned that was it yeah. And they're like, oh, yes, yeah. there's, a, there's a picture of a Jesuit nun in the textbook. And I was like, okay. And I'm like a little kid. Like, I don't understand this at all. And that was all it was. They're and like, it's moved fine. on to the fur trade. Yeah. So all in French. So I was like, quoi? <laughs> right? Like, I don't know what this is. And I'm like, eight? 
I don't know what this is. And they didn't explain and it was just glossed right over. And then we go to high school and where I went to school, it was like learning about World War One, World War Two, the Cold War, mm-hmm. the U.S. So it's not, even though it shouldn't be new for us, it is pretty new for us as well, Jess. So, which is the real, yeah, <laughs> yeah. the real disgusting part. Yeah. <laughs> so this was very Absolutely. enlightening and intense and... As someone who has, like, massive, uh, like, what do they call it? Eco-anxiety yeah. or, like, mm-hmm. whatever. That was a lot for me at the beginning. I know. <laughs> I yeah. Like, I, so. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I read Dune recently, and that book, <laughs> The Planet, doesn't have a lot of water. And it has, like, an eco <laughs> theme into it. And then I read, I'm like, okay, this is too much. <laughs> yeah. I need a break. Yeah. And they're talking yeah. in this book about how, like, oh, the world came over to try to take our water. And I was like, oh, my God, because Canada has, like, the most fresh water resources in the world. Water <sighs> wars Canada's First Nations are going to be a real thing. Water that's been stolen all the time. Yes. And that. right now in Iqaluit, they don't have any water. They have to get it shipped from Ottawa because there was a mm-hmm. huge problem. There was, like, gas leaking yep. in their water. So the whole city, like six to 10,000 people, I think, because it's very sparse up north, like they're very isolated. And the capital has, I think, 6,000 people. Um, There's no water at all. And it's $9 for a liter of water at the store. Nine Canadian. Just awful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So this was very timely. And yeah, it is kind of like what you said, Nikki, like it was parallel and not so much Mm -hmm. like this is a sci-fi spin on a what if it's very parallel, which is yeah. disturbing. It's the too near future. You're like, uh, <laughs> yes, absolutely. When she said the year in the book, 2049 or that's whatever, not, I was like, no, nope. that's not far <laughs> enough away for me. Honestly, that it was still yeah. like, no, um, no, I didn't need that close. date. No. Nope. Also, I read, you know what? I need to make some better choices because I recently read Parable of the Sword by Octavia E. Butler. And that was written in like, the 80s or the 90s and the year was 2024 and i was like oh no and the same thing with issues with water and i was like this is uncomfortable oh man so you know what i need to go read a romance the trajectory we're on (laughs) i need a romance oh my god i'm sorry (laughs) yeah no but it's that's it's true i mean well um on that note (laughs) why don't we give some uh book recommendations if anyone has any I do. Great. I'm worried that Jess is going to say it, so I will go first. <laughs> <laughs> I do this to Kelly okay. all the time. This is all I have. All the time I do this to her, <laughs> so she needs to do it to someone else. <laughs> I need a win. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is all I have, okay? <laughs> I would really recommend, and I think I've already recommended this on a previous episode. But this is all I was getting, so from what I remember reading in my past. So I'm going to recommend again Ring Shout by P. Jelly Clark, because yes, the sci fi elements in this book and how it was a historical sci fi fantasy of sorts mm-hmm. really reminded me of Ring Shout and mm. the monsters in Ring Shout versus the. Um, Uh, like the recruiters and some of the more kind of like magical elements in the book. Mm -hmm. 
just really brought me back to that. So, yeah, and it was also a similar length. So, I don't know, would you consider The Marrow Thieves a novel or a novella? That I think it's a novel. I think if it's under 100 pages, that'd be a novella. I think. I don't know the rules. Okay, I don't know. But, yeah, I would recommend that one. I really enjoyed it. I think there's similarities. Um, It's not about indigenous people, but it is about black people and racism in America. So, yeah, I would recommend that one. I have a lighthearted recommendation. Yeah. If you you love (laughs) people walking forever, but you don't want to be in emotional distress (laughs) about real life things, read (laughs) The Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Oh, Oh, yeah. Jay, R.R. Tolkien. (laughs) Yeah. Never heard of some unknown Reddit, but I can tell you it's a maze. And it will help you not be sad. Oh. A little sad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and a little happy, because who doesn't love Tom Bombadil? Apparently yeah. everybody except for me. But oh, true. anyway. Tom Bombadil? Oh. <laughs> who the yeah. Is Tom Bombadil? He takes up a lot He's of pages. I enjoyed that part. And everybody <laughs> oh, yeah. else was like, fuck in this Fellowship guy. And I was ring? like, no, I love him. He was oh. so fun. I just needed it to be like this and not this. I was like, okay. <laughs> Let's get past the. Well, we know where my priorities lay. Um, <laughs> his name is too long, even Bombadil. Tom Bombadil. It's like it's an great. excellent name. I mean, I'm sure his mother loved him. So okay, <laughs> I don't know. We hope. Wow. Okay. Just cut to the core by Kelly. <laughs> I need to keep the um, comedic relief for this episode. <laughs> no, it's true, and I appreciate it very much. You're welcome. <laughs> um, Jess, do you have a recommendation for us? Um, yeah, a book I just finished, which it's not lighthearted, but it is a really quick read. Um, it's a thriller, They Never Learn, by Lane Fargo. I literally finished this mm-hmm. yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I think yesterday. Oh, wow. Um, and it really is actually a thriller, because a lot, I feel like, are classified like that should be mystery, but the chapters are short and it, it definitely, there's two time or there's two point of views that alternate and, mm-hmm. you know, one ends and you're like, oh my God, so you got to read the other one to get back to theirs. But so it definitely makes you like want to turn the pages. It was very, a very interesting story. I don't, I always find thrillers really hard to explain, but essentially like it's set at a university and you're following a college student and then also a professor and, you know, they may have some anger issues, a deep, dark side to them, um, Ooh. you know, about teaching men a lesson. That's it. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's short. <laughs> okay. Teach them a great. lesson. That's it. <laughs> you, you sold me, Go honestly. Get it. <laughs> yeah. They never learn. Okay. <laughs> great. Thank you. Um I the book I want to recommend for this episode is also a fairly recent read of mine, um, Trail of Lightning by Rebecca Roanhorse. Mm. So this is also a post-apocalyptic novel by an indigenous author centering a young indigenous monster hunter who works with tricksters and gods. And it also features this like similar similar kind of um, gritty atmosphere and a juxtaposition of modern and traditional teachings. So I found it I found myself thinking about it a lot as I was reading The Marrow Thieves um, for the second time. And I think if you enjoyed The Marrow Thieves, you'd probably enjoy Trail of Lightning. So I'd recommend it. Cool. Yeah. Great. All right. Um, are we ready to move into spoilers? Yes. 
Okay, well, folks, you guessed it. We're moving into spoilers territory now. So if you haven't read uh, the book, The Marrow Thieves, and don't want to know how it all turns out, you should stop listening now. And if you like what you're hearing, feel free to leave us a rating or a review on your podcast app of choice. We'd really appreciate it. So if you don't want any spoilers, you should leave now. Bye-bye. Bye. Toodles. <laughs> okay, we'll begin with a quick recap of the rest of the book so we're all on the same page. Okay, as we know from the synopsis, the book takes place in a not-too-distant Canada where indigenous people are hunted for their bone marrow. In the first chapter, our protagonist, Frenchie, a young Métis boy, tells his coming-to story. How his family was taken by recruiters, and after days of running through the woods, he eventually collapsed and was found by Miguans, a middle-aged Anishinaabe man leading a group of indigenous children north where they hoped to find safer lands. In the present, teenage Frenchie has been on the run with Mig and the rest of their ragtag family for five years. Frenchie's family consists of the teens Chi Boy and Wob, the twins Tree and Ji Guan, the kids Riri and Slopper, Mig and their elder Minerva. They are a close-knit group, but each day is a struggle for survival out in the wilderness as they avoid recruiters by never staying in one place too long. Mig, the father figure of the group, tells them story. While the indigenous Anishinaabe people were once proud warriors, the horrors of residential schools stole their language and their livelihood. As climate change became a larger threat, governments started fighting over water, and natural disasters killed many people. In this desolate environment, some people stopped dreaming, and now only indigenous people retain that ability. Meek tells them it's in their bone marrow. The group stumbles upon a newcomer, teenage Rose. In the coming weeks, Rose quickly becomes part of the family, and Frenchie immediately develops feelings for her, though he is jealous that Minerva teaches her words in the language when he is out hunting. One day, Wob tells everyone that she saw two men in the woods, one of whom she recognized as a bad man from her former life. The group soon comes across an abandoned resort called the Four Winds. That night, Rose climbs into bed with Frenchie, opening up about her past. They kiss, but are soon interrupted by Riri and Slopper coming in to sleep with the bigger kids. Their group reluctantly moves on from the resort. Meek tells Frenchie privately that the government is building new schools to harvest indigenous people's bone marrow and shares his own coming-to story. He and his husband Isaac were both kidnapped and taken to a school, and while Meek escaped, he never saw Isaac again. They encounter the two indigenous men the next week, Travis and Lincoln, and are immediately suspicious of them. The men turn out to be double agents working for recruiters, and they attack at night. After a quick scuffle and chase, Lincoln tragically runs off a cliff while holding on to Riri. Frenchie, blinded by his grief, returns to their camp and shoots Travis. After days of running and grieving, the group finds a barn and sleeps in the loft overnight. Minerva, elderly and infirm, refuses to climb up to the loft. In the middle of the night, recruiters find and take Minerva, and the group discovers that she hid the ladder to the loft to save the rest of them from discovery. Frenchie is determined to save Minerva, and their family soon comes across an indigenous resistance group, including Frenchie's long-lost father. After a happy reunion, they learn that the resistance group has heard of Minerva. When the people at the school hooked her up to machines to study her dreams, the machines all malfunctioned because she always dreamed in her language. A rescue mission is mounted, but sadly Minerva is shot in the fight and dies after telling them to always go home. The resistance group runs for days and begins trying to piece together their language and stories as this is the key to taking down the schools. 
At the end of the book, Rose and Frenchie declare their feelings for each other, and they come across a new group of travelers, including Meeg's long-lost husband Isaac, who dreams in Cree, just like Minerva. It was such a uh, happy moment at the very end yeah. that I really, really needed. Yes. Yeah, I like had a little cry at the yeah. end. Of it. Yeah, that and when feel the same way when um, Frenchie sees his dad again. Oh, I was like, yeah. great, good. We're getting some relief here. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. what I needed. I couldn't trust any good thing in this book. I was like, oh my god. So <laughs> I'm glad there was some kind of happiness and hope because whoa. You needed it. Yeah. 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 And the happiness, uh, th- like the the love between Frenchie and Rose, too, was also something that kind of kept me going mm-hmm. because his love for her was so pure. Like it was, uh, he was a teenage boy, but it wasn't ever really talked about in kind of like a sexual way that you would expect. Like he talked about how she was beautiful and how he, like she gave him hope and like challenged him to be a better person. Mm-hmm. And she was like feisty and spirited and uh, really kind of put him in his place when he needed it. Yes. And that was something that I really loved about this book too. One thing that yeah. I really liked when it did come to them having kind of physical interactions, mm-hmm. it felt like it well, it made me feel how I felt when I was reading the Song of Achilles. I knew you were going to say that. Mm. Yep, I agree. <laughs> yeah. So he, how so? He talks about how her foot rested against his foot and how mm-hmm. that was the mm-hmm. only feeling he could focus on. And the feeling of her laying on his arm and the weight of her head on him and things like that, where you can tell that these are very intimate moments and possibly... Um, sexual but it didn't feel that way it felt like very sensual and pure and Mm -hmm. like they are children because they are Mm -hmm. so yeah I love that their whole their whole thing was great to me Mm -hmm. it reminded me of the song of Achilles as well and I think it's Mm -hmm. maybe because of the tone of the writing like it was a little bit more formal it was very poetic just like Madeline Miller's writing Mm -hmm. Um, because yeah I kept and also it's told uh, sort of like in the past you know Mm -hmm. I forget exactly what kind of narrative it is Tilly (laughs) help me out Uh, well it's first person narration isn't it and um, it's kind of told, yeah, it's just in like a kind of a non-linear, like circular kind of way. Yeah. It's, Does that help? I guess, <laughs> I like, I guess I got the sense that he was telling the story from the future, you know, like mm. everything was like, this already happened. Um, mm. and that's oh, kind of yeah. how it was in the song of Achilles. Yeah. That's how I yeah, felt. Yeah. Cause he would like, was like, he would say like, I would regret that line forever yes. or like, yeah, right. that's true. Mention mm-hmm. some things like that. Yeah, so I took it as, like, we're reading or hearing story, right? Right. So, yeah, I yeah, it was very formal, but very poetic. So, like, this 16-year-old boy, <laughs> he's a good storyteller, you know? Like, oh my. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I will say, though, the one part that, that bugged me about their relationship was when Rose tells Frenchie her coming to story, I believe mm-hmm. that's what it is. And then mm-hmm. suddenly he's like, oh, my pants or like whatever he says. Like he clearly, you know, has an erection. Sorry. And then suddenly it's like, oh, and I'm like, wait a sec. We're just dealing with this trauma. 
And suddenly it's going that direction. <laughs> and then it went back to the normal story. Because I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I know you can't help it, but like, whoa. So <laughs> I think, though, I had to say it. <laughs> it didn't, that didn't bother me. But I feel like in that moment, if you were the characters in that moment or whatever, <laughs> I think it's a very realistic thing to happen. They're, yeah. She's close to him for the first time. They're emotionally connecting and everything. And I, I didn't feel like that was something gross or weird. I just yeah. took it as, yeah, that's probably what would happen, you know, like that. Great. Cool. I think I need like the kids paragraph. are going to interrupt anyway. <laughs> well, I need like a paragraph of buffer, you know, to be like, yes, I hear you, whatever, whatever, have a moment. Yeah. And then that happens. Cause I was like, wait, it's like, she just unfurled all this traumatic stuff. And then it's like, Oh, <laughs> hi, she's touching me. And I was like, so I didn't like that little bit. I wish there was like one paragraph just to buffer it. Cause I was like, I don't know. You know how, if you tell somebody about something that upsets you and you do something to distract from the fact that it's upsetting or you try to make light of the situation or something like that. That's, I think how I felt. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It makes sense. It's just me. I'm like, mm. <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to talk about, which I actually did a little bit of like tiny, tiny, tiny bit of research on because I was just very interested in the style of the narrative was um, kind of this indigenous circular storytelling oral tradition. So I had kind of heard of this very peripherally um, on TikTok <laughs> by like indigenous scholars who talk about literature. Oh. And so I was just really interested in like, I wonder this, this feels like it could be part of that. And um, just from my like tiny bit of reading, once again, I am not an expert. Um, I feel like it is part of this tradition where, uh, you know, there's generally nonlinear narratives featuring multiple layers and there's often no real like beginning or middle or end, which is what it felt like in this book as well. And um, I really liked it because I felt like it was a snapshot of these characters' lives. Like we were kind of part of their family and we were learning things at the same time that they were. And uh, it also made sense to me that Minerva was like um, kind of the elder and the keeper of the language and of the like the oral records was typically kind of a, a task for the older women mm-hmm. in families. So I, I felt like it was, um, I don't know, it just felt really new and to me personally because I haven't read a lot of um, indigenous fiction and I was just really interested in this style of narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. It does. I can see that with the structure because it's like mm-hmm. there was a plot but sometimes I wasn't sure what was going to happen next along the way to the pl- You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. whereas like other story arcs are very clearly like, okay, rising action, rising action, climax. Now we're going to have a solution, mm-hmm. whatever, you know? This yeah. was more like... Right, it didn't fit into that yes. mold. Yeah. 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 But definitely makes it unique. Because um, same, I mm-hmm. haven't read much indigenous fiction or 
I read nonfiction. I have them on my shelf and need to get to them. But well, I did read Firekeeper's Daughter, which is by an indigenous author, but that was a more traditionally structured book. Um, mm -hmm. But that would make sense since that I feel like a lot of indigenous or older cultures have that like oral language or oral records are more important than you mm -hmm. know it being written down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I found like it kind of like opened my mind to what um, fiction can be or like what writing can be, mm -hmm. because like you were saying, Kelly, like in school, you're always taught about the rising action and then like the graph with like the climax and then the, the de-escalating, whatever yeah. it is. And I always found that like so restrictive um, as a, like a young person who liked to write. And it's really wonderful to read different kinds of books that don't adhere to those rules at all. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I found it like really kind of inspiring. It made me want to read more books that were um, like this and not predictable. Mm -hmm. Well, I have another one of her books that I haven't read yet because I just bought it. And I was like, ooh, I have to read The Bear Thieves first. But this one is called Empire Wild, I think. Oh, yeah. It's a, her adult book, yes. right? It's an adult book. And it's about yeah. the Rougarou. So, mm. which comes up in this book. So I was like, oh my gosh. So I'm really excited about that one. I'll let you all know what I think when I read it. Yeah. So I'm very excited. It's also very short, which I like because, oh yes. my God, my brain. But, um... <laughs> so earlier when what lowered my enjoyment for the book with, and I think you touched on this, Nikki, about the whole situation in the story, because obviously it's indigenous people are still being able to dream and they take the marrow from their bones am i understanding that correctly but i still don't understand what that did for non-indigenous people like did they inject that into them and then they could dream yeah or i'm wondering so? if it's like a bone marrow transplant like you get if you have leukemia or something yeah but then i'm also like why did they have to die after because yeah you people can donate bone marrow and they they leave the hospital after they're like great that was great my yeah, hip is so, sore i'm gonna go home now so i just <laughs> I, wasn't it, really sure it must have been like we've you know you've done you've served your purpose maybe or something and they just right. as a again a really close parallel to just not valuing indigenous people maybe i just was like that right. whole part curious like what exactly was happening um over there because like building the new schools or whatever that they were going to put them in and it's like are they like I've never donated bone marrow um I don't know the process except that it seems painful <laughs> so I don't know can you do it more than one time is it something where like they do it once I like think... we can't use you again or they keep doing it it's like really draining to them or I don't know maybe that's too technical no for idea. the story I think I think you can do it more than once because I had a friend who passed away from leukemia and his sister gave a uh, bone marrow transplant I think she did it twice and it didn't take um so I think you can do it more than once but I think it's very um taxing and you need to mm -hmm. like space it out kind yeah. of like yeah. any other kind of transfusion of sorts I guess mm -hmm. um but yeah. I yeah. So I have some answers having read this uh, <laughs> twice, which is there's a blink and you miss it line that they were wrong about the bone marrow. So it was something that they talked about a lot about dreams being in your bone marrow, but the schools were collecting marrow and studying people's dreams 
but they weren't related necessarily. Okay. But it wasn't it wasn't very clearly explained because I think in the author's mind it's like not the important part of the story, yeah. which I get, but it's also like, but what is it? <laughs> um, and obviously because Isaac survived, even though Meeg had found the vial of his bone marrow and assumed that he was dead. Um, so I think they were, t- I think it was more the schools were about studying Indigenous people and trying to figure out why they dream. Mm. And I think it was just kind of like an urban myth amongst the people who were running that it w- had to be such a central part of them that it was part of their marrow. Right. Okay. So I think it was like a misinformation situation, okay. but it's not clearly explained. And I've been kind of like looking up like, what is, what is this? <laughs> what Like, what is part of this? And then at the end when they have Minerva hooked up to machines, right? So they're studying her brain chemistry, I think more so than like studying the marrow. Yeah. Right. Okay. That makes more I think. sense because it really reminded me of Get Out mm-hmm. in that way. Like the like you have these like superior qualities that we'd like to integrate into yeah. our own bodies or whatever. Right. It is like yes, yeah. yes, that is. But such an I would have <laughs> at the end yeah. of the book when they meet the the worker who's in the school, but is like a double mm-hmm. agent for indigenous mm-hmm. people for their, the community there. Mm-hmm. I was like waiting. I was like, are we going to get a chapter where she's like, this is what's going on in the place. And then it never happened. And I was like, okay, but I would have, I just, <laughs> yeah. I really, I was just so curious the whole mm-hmm. time I was listening to this book. That was my number one motivator for mm. like, to keep going because I was not having a super great journey through the the novel. And I was like, please just tell me I want something. But it didn't happen. <laughs> so, so now it feels fine. like a really good time to tell everyone that there's a sequel yeah. that's yes. coming out. I think this month I that's 400 pages oh. and involves one of the characters being in one of the schools. Great. So I think I mean, that would great, probably but I'm interested. <laughs> right. <laughs> not great for sure, but I think that would delve more oh. into the kind of scientific um sci-fi aspects of it from what I can tell. She oh. knew I was going to read this book and she knew I yeah. was going to be like I have so many unanswered she questions specifically for you. <laughs> Just watch the dedication is going to say for Nikki who was super ungrateful about the first book but I wrote this one anyway. <laughs> Now, eat Perfect. broccoli. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I didn't realize oh it was going to be so long. I did see a sequel, and I just assumed, yeah. oh, it's probably going to be another short one. But that is promising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's supposed to kind of be expanding upon the world that's that's been created in this one and a follow-up with the characters. So I'm really excited to read it. Oh. Yeah. Do you know if it's, like, immediately after the first or, like, time has passed, or do you know? Uh, I'm not super sure because I just looked it up very briefly before we started recording, but it's called Hunting by Stars. Yes. Um, And I think I saw that it was coming out in October 2021. Am I wrong about that? Let me me Google it. October 2021. That's why I was so excited. (laughs) I mean, what? It's November. (laughs) Yeah. October 19th, 2021. It's supposed to come out in two days. So (laughs) I was reading this book, as you all know. And I was like, this would be so interesting to see as a TV show or a movie adaptation, because although I know they had a theater company uh, produce the audiobook, a Canadian theater company called Soul Pepper Theater, um, 
I don't think it would lend very well to a play because the no, budget it's too it's, outdoors. Yeah. Yes, and the amount of people and the fantastical elements, I would just think it'd be a hot mess. So sorry. But for TV and movies, I would totally, totally love to see it. And oh, what yeah. a great project for indigenous people here. You could have like, well, you know, it's a very sad project, but I mean the amount of jobs that you could create for indigenous mm-hmm. people in the arts. Because this is the type of project that you really want. We don't want to be on the forefront of that. You know, like this should be told by indigenous people. So, and I'm just going to say it. I don't think CBC should do it. (laughs) 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 CBC is like Canada's TV station. You know, it's publicly funded, whatever. I don't know. I don't think CBC should do it. I think it should be like a separate company i don't know but i, I just feel think like be really cool it would be really <laughs> good like netflix series like they have like <laughs> such good budget and i yes. think that oh i think it would be like so freaking good mm-hmm. i think i would have really connected with the story more watching it yeah because there'd be so able much to like... actually see what was going on mm-hmm. instead of just being like mm-hmm. and we were walking and we were walking, and then we were running, and I was like, "We made oh, camp, exciting. and then we were walking, <laughs> and then we found some water." Just kidding. <laughs> we found some bells. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's fair. It would be. It makes me think. I haven't watched. I only watched a couple episodes of the one hundred. I think, but and they're oh, not yeah. closely Same. related. But it's just making me think of like being outdoors and like. They could do mm-hmm. a lot with that, especially the, when they're telling the stories. And, like, I'm thinking about the flashbacks for their coming to stories. And mm-hmm. it could, mm-hmm. yeah. And then I feel like if it was just the timeline or just the stories we were getting or perspective in this book, maybe it could be slow. But if they, add, I don't know what the second book's going to do. But in the, just like you were talking about the, like, the double agent they had, if they had, like, a perspective mm-hmm. from somebody on the inside and they kind of, like, went back you see these people on the run and then you Ooh, also yeah. can see a side of what's actually happening that would be who do we need yeah. netflix who do we need to call HBO. where's the email i, I was literally just gonna <laughs> oh, say yeah. do we need to pitch this and be like don't listen to us because we're white but listen to us for like a second like, please <laughs> yes. go talk to Cher. don't we listen just to us bring but it like up. listen to us but for then... like five minutes and then just like take it and run <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Yes. Yeah, and there'd be like so much cinematic tension that could be yes. built with the camera yeah. angles and Especially like the, with quick the cuts recruiters, and the, like the leaves them yeah. down. Like they hear the like, whistles and oh yeah, it's be like Game of Thrones, but Canadian Indigenous author. Okay, like let's go because there all the elements are here. You've got sci-fi. You've got historical romance, fiction, a little bit, a little bit of romance. Mm-hmm. You have intense, mm-hmm. intense violence. Yes, suspense. suspense. You've got magic. You've got yeah. beautiful um, moments in here. You've got um, educational moments. Like it's got it yeah. all. I'm sold. I'm thinking Kelly, of this. You, you pitched it to me. This, this, this. I will sign the checks. <laughs> I know you won't. Don't Just kidding. That. I have no money. <laughs> I'm thinking of the scene that would be uh, when the uh, Meigs is telling a story about him and Isaac in the little cottage. Mm. And then those people oh, yeah. who come along and then that part at night, like that would be so like he comes out and there's per- and she tells him like, you need to run like that. I mean, reading it, I was oh. like, oh, no. And oh, the no. close, oh. 
close like profile shot yeah. from the camera on Meg's face being like, we gotta go. Yeah. yeah. And Isaac being like, Shivers. no, mm. it would be great. Emotional. Yeah. But great with the right people. Yes. I was so mad during that scene. <laughs> Me too. I know. I loved the fact that we had a non heterosexual couple in this book oh, and yeah. he was the yeah. leader of the group because yeah, yeah it was never a big no. thing it was just like yeah my husband and never was like yeah your husband yeah, yeah. I, be- I believe that that's quite true to indigenous people in general there it's you know like mm-hmm. they have two spirit people they have you know it's not so and two much spirit and is a yeah and two spirit is a gift yeah yes. i've heard um like elders say yeah yeah so and it was, it was great too. Not only colonialism oh, was like no. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it's it's great to not only have a non-heterosexual character in the book, but also to have him as a leading figure and like a father figure mm-hmm. and someone who's really respected and has got control of the group, you know? I just thought that's great, you know? Especially yeah. like a manly quote. On, I'm, I'm doing air quotes because, you know, right. it's yes. <laughs> often presented he's like the sometimes hunter. in yeah. fiction that if you're queer, that you're more effeminate or less of a quote unquote man. But he was, yeah, a hunter, strong leader. And it was just, it wasn't like a, oh, it was just a natural part of who he was. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Love that. I loved it. And I love that they had um, tattoos on their ring fingers yes. rather than rings. It was like a buffalo yeah. tattoo, I think. Yeah. Which I'm not sure of the significance of the buffalo, but I thought that was a really lovely part. Yeah, especially at the end. We wouldn't know like, anything about the noticing. significance of the buffalo because we came and killed them all. Yeah. So um, I'm a vegetarian, well. but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also reading between reading this, Dune and well, like Dune's like more fantasy, but just the they're on a planet that doesn't have a lot of water, and then Parable of the Sower, and also watching TV shows, I'm like, wow. If anything came to, I just really probably would die immediately because I have no skills. I, I don't know what I could eat. I don't. I can't hunt. I can't do. I anything. think about that very often when I watch things like that. I'm like, I should learn how to make a fire with sticks yeah. or something. I should like, run. I need to make yeah. myself useful because then people are just going to be like, oh, she's kind of like fat. I'll just kill her and eat her. Like, like, that would be my like useful skill. <laughs> Another moment that really stood out to me in this book that was very visual and would be great if there was like a visual adaptation, um, but even if not, just reading it, I was so there and it was really touching to me, was near the end when they were releasing all of the bone marrow into the water and singing Mm -hmm. their song while they were doing it. And like, I can only imagine how long they would be singing and crying and pouring these vials out Mm -hmm. and just the description of it. I did highlight it, but um, the description of it was just so beautiful, even though it would be a very, very heartbreaking moment. Um, Yeah. I just like, you can clearly see the skill of her writing in passages like those where you're just you're right there you know and yeah i i don't want to say i loved that part because i didn't but it it touched me i'll say yeah it's very yeah. evocative yes yeah. there were many um i was tabbing it at first and then i i didn't but i did have a moment um that felt i don't know if it was the writing or just more about what it said but 
<clears throat> she says, and then even after our way of life was being commoditized, after our lands were filled with water companies and wealthy corporate investors, we were still hopeful because we had each other. New communities started to form and we were gathering strength both in the church and the scientists that were working day and night on the dream problem came up with their solution and everything went to hell. And I think I just was like, oh, I guess that was on page 89. I was like, oh yeah, this is really close to, you know, the history, recent history of residential schools um and then you know talking about filled with water companies and i was like "Ooh, this is Mm -hmm. we're not getting too we're not getting too far we're not straying too far away from what has happened um yeah 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 i mean residential schools are really only a generation away Mm -hmm. like a lot of people who are who went to those schools and who survived are still alive today and are only in their like 40s or 50s, Yeah, which is the most horrifying part of all of it is that it feels removed, but it's not. I think the last residential school in Canada closed down in 1996. Yeah. God. We were all alive. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's how they want to make it seem or like, you know, people who want to ignore residential schools to Mm -hmm. make it seem like, I mean, they do to in, erase um, it. Yeah, in America with like slavery, which is further away than at least like people mm-hmm. actually being enslaved further away than residential schools. But it's still, you know, in America lingering effects and I'm sure other countries lingering effects of that. Mm-hmm. And so with res- residential schools, hearing about that and then figuring out how that it happened also in the States and how recently I was watching like some documentary pieces on like YouTube and I was like, oh, my God, like Why? Don't we know about mm-hmm. this? Why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, because I was reading this thinking, like, how can we not know so many things about indigenous people? You know, like, I find it so, like, frustrating and harping that we don't learn about them in school. And I'm like, well, Kelly, it's because they've literally wiped them out. Like, they don't have their own mm-hmm. language. So in the book, like, they're trying to keep their language, right? Like, people here and now are trying to keep their language alive and their culture and their... Which is so bizarre for me as a white person to think about because it's like, I speak English, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. most people I know speak English. I don't have to worry about, you know, who am Mm -hmm. I? What is my language? What does this sound like? What does it look like? Like, all these things, like, Frenchie in the book is like so upset and jealous that rose gets to learn a word a day yeah you know yeah it's just like and they they talk a lot frenchie talks a lot in the book about feeling old-timey and how that gave him so much pride to feel like he was doing things in the way like they would have traditionally been done i found that was so touching and to you know to prize that and to be looking for it Mm -hmm. and but but yeah it's it's so sad and horrifying that it's not there yeah. in the book and it's not always there in real life either yeah. yeah i wrote that down too the how he you know felt or how he like creeped up to the room when minerva was talking to the girls because like he had missed out on so much of that and then mm-hmm. even previously like obviously from where he had his family you know he's still growing up on the run like it's been all these years and lost mm-hmm. <clears throat> so much of that like that he would get if he was normally at home, like he would get story and he would get language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Something else that, and it was on the same page where I wrote, but a lot of this is 
like we kept saying, like timely and relevant. Um, and a part where he talks about what, how it first started made me think about how like a history of in America, the distrust that has been formed be- between black communities and the government and like mm-hmm. medical communities. Cause he said, mm-hmm. or in the book, I think it's Meigs is um, saying they asked for volunteers first, put out ads asking for people with indigenous bloodlines and good general health to check in with local clinics for medical trials. They'd give you room and board for a week in a small honorarium to pay for your time off work, but then our distrust had grown stronger and they didn't get many volunteers from the public, so they turned to the prisons. The prisons were always full of our people. And I just thought about that just, and I'm sure that's probably true in society and then also just with marginalized communities in general, how, you know, they're usually in these um, less, I don't know what the word is, a lot of obviously marginalized people, black, brown, um, people in prisons, but then also when they're just in not as good situations where they have, where they're more likely to be like bribed or mm-hmm. coerced into to something like this. And so I was like, ooh, mm. yes. Yeah, I found um, Wob's coming to story was really kind of oh. hit me in that same way of just yeah. like growing up and not having the same options as a lot of people and her mother was an alcoholic and like i think was like kind of trading sexual favors to get drugs and alcohol and that was creating this environment for wob where she was also like open to those like awful um abuse Mm -hmm. and then you know when she was being paid as a runner i think to go across town and like just deliver messages and she felt safe and strong yes and then to be betrayed by that um the same guy who comes up later it was travis or lincoln i forget Travis? I think it was Travis. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And to to have been betrayed by someone who she thought she could trust. And, oh God, it was so awful to read and going to that warehouse and getting beaten and raped and Mm -hmm. and like her eye taken away. Oh, it was awful. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that a lot in the allegedly episode. Like everybody Mm -hmm. has choices and you make the choices you make, but not everybody has the same choices. Mm -hmm. So you can only do the best with what's handed to you mm-hmm. yeah what's presented yeah yeah i have a question for everyone <laughs> because in the book when you had indigenous people turning on other indigenous people i'm like what was the deal that they struck because what why did the government choose to keep them safe and like you know what i mean like why what are they getting out of it to turn in their own kind like why aren't they mm. being taken in well they I, said when they like described them they had nicer clothes they they one of them had a little bit of a belly which meant that they were actually like eating things mm-hmm. they had real weapons so mm-hmm. i think honestly and if, pills too yeah if I you, think one of them had pills if you get that far into a, a situation like this like kind of a almost like um heading towards like post apocalyptic <laughs> situation anything like that would be so precious that if somebody asked you at the right moment you would probably say great mm. i will take your deal yeah and yeah they were one of them was it lincoln was like really on something yeah. yeah. So if it's like drug motivated too, that makes it even 
more heightened. So I think mm-hmm. just like basic necessities were enough mm-hmm. for people to be like, great, I will work to entice. with you for yeah, de- you. The desperation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think. And I think it makes me, again, I keep paralleling, paralleling, but I think, I don't know, that's something important. Because um, I mean, in slavery, there were, they would use people, you know, black people to, and I think it's because you can get closer to them like you, like they did right. in the beginning. They're like, oh, we're also indigenous. And you kind of let your guard down and they take advantage of that. And then also, yeah, like you're saying, it's, they're like, well, I mean, I could stick with like my pride, my morals, but those won't feed me. I'm hungry or like, give me a safe place. And I feel like probably they eventually probably turn on them too or something, or maybe they don't, maybe if they keep bringing them people in, um, they'll let them feel like they have some kind of power and they have a, they feel like they have a guarantee. At least I can eat. I have somewhere to sleep. I know I'm doing wrong, but like I'm looking out because a lot of those post-apocalyptic stories and stuff is like you come people, I think war with looking out for other people or just worrying about yourself. Mm-hmm. And they're probably like, well, right. I'm just going to put myself first, <laughs> which is hard to say what I would do in that situation. Like I want to say like, yeah. I wouldn't, right. you know, but Noted. I also love to eat. <laughs> you won't be hanging yeah, out with Jess. <laughs> I'm not, you're not getting in the boat. Because you like to think too. Yeah, I always like to think. I'm like, well, I wouldn't do that because I would, you know, have my moral standpoint. But yeah, you just never know until you're in that situation. Well, I yeah. think like um, weird musical reference, but everybody's <laughs> like, oh yeah, like Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton. He always stood up for what he believed in. I'm like, um, yeah, like 95 percent of the world are Aaron Burrs. Okay, yeah, we're all like. I don't really agree, but I'm not going to say anything because I don't want people to be mad or whatever, whatever, whatever. And I think ultimately those things will translate into major situations. Like you're not going to, if you won't stand up for someone, if they say this person um, sexually assaulted me and you can say, oh, well, they were always really nice to me. So I'm still going to be friends with them. In a situation like this, you're probably going to be like, well, I could eat. So <laughs> it's yeah. really hard, but like, and it's, it's hard, really yeah. shitty. Like nobody wants to like look at themselves and be like, yeah, I would do the shitty thing. Mm-hmm. But that's the the truth. Yeah. I mean, statistically, it's, probably. Yeah. It's very easy to sit here and say, I feel like I'm a good person and I would never do anything to hurt other people mm-hmm. intentionally. Yeah. But yeah. And I mean, you know. There is a part in the book where Frenchie's crying with his dad and he's like, I've done things. And his dad's like, we've all done things. And I yep, just was yep. like, right. oh. and that mm-hmm. was all he needed to say, you know? It's yeah. like, you're good. It's, we've all, you know? Yeah. It's a different situation. I recently read a nonfiction book, Cast, uh, and she talks about, because mm-hmm. um, she's comparing the caste system in India and Nazi Germany to like the caste system between black people essentially and white people in America. But one part she was talking about, like, because people used to go out to lynchings, like they used to make it a day, like they get dressed up, they go have a picnic, they have photos, they have photographs. And same thing in uh, Germany when Hitler and stuff were coming through, everyone's in a standing outside. It's a parade. And she's like, there are a bunch of just normal people in this picture. And she's like, you basically saying the same thing like you like to think you wouldn't do that but you know it's hard to go against the majority or to right 
it, you just don't know in those situations. There were tons of just people who thought they weren't bad people who just went along with these things. And I was like, oh, oh, gosh, because I'm always like, oh, I would never. And I still would right. like to think I would never. But yeah. Ooh. Yeah. You just don't know when some things look good until they don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then you realize you're in too deep with something and you can't get out. I don't know. Yeah. And we're going there. I'm going to go there. <laughs> I, um, I'm taking an arts course right now, uh, like arts management. And um, something I read, I was like, what? So we're talking about getting charity status. And this is related. <laughs> Let me get there. <laughs> I promise it's related. I'm along for the ride. <laughs> yeah. Um, how to get charity size in Canada. And like, if you're a company or whatever, nonprofit. And um, we are still following the rules that Queen Elizabeth I wrote for how to become a charity. Like you have to be furthering education, furthering religion, or furthering a social cause. It cannot be political. So if you do anything that's like super advocacy oriented, then you're not going to be a charity. You have to like create a separate like offshoot to advocate heavily, Um, which I was like, whoa, because the reason why I bring it up is because the whole (laughs) when I read you need to be furthering religion was the first one. I was like, "Mm," question mark, because I, (laughs) you know, what we're finding out now with all the residential schools and the the burial sites on mm-hmm. church grounds, and I'm sure it would have had a role to play in this book and the world of this book, and they're not paying taxes, you know? And mm-hmm. it's like that charity status <laughs> is getting them a lot of funds, and like, I don't know. I don't think everyone who goes to church is bad. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying. I thought it was very interesting that we're still following what Queen Elizabeth I, back in Shakespeare's time, wrote for what constitutes a charity. Yeah. I was like, interesting. So Time for an update. Yeah. <laughs> an amendment, saying. maybe. Just a review. Yeah, because that, it keeps the power with those in yep. power, right? Yep. So, and charity is supposed to be bringing good. And I know you can, other people have different opinions of what's good, what's not good, what's useful, what's not useful. Sure. But I'm just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Because now we're here, right? (laughs) And we're trying to learn. We're trying to help out. We're trying to change things. And then we have the government here saying that you're not allowed to say that you're on unseated or stolen land, you know? Um... And the uh, the Prime Minister, our very first Truth and Reconciliation Day, what did he do? He went on holiday. Like, what? It's, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that made any sense, if you're going to keep any of that. But I'm just like, <laughs> question no, mark, but, you know? Yeah. yeah. Old ways and the, it's like, there's a lot of good meaning people who have a, or a part of organized religion. But I think yeah. like the institution oh, yeah. of the church general is done a lot of harm Mm -hmm. yeah because all those residential schools when i was watching those documentaries and stuff they're all led by nuns and priests i think were priests involved and i'm like and 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 hearing from the people who have survived what they went through what they witnessed and like that was led by the church like all the Mm -hmm. violence and abuse 
and just cruel things done to them and then the bodies hidden by the people who are supposed to you know be the the signal of or the sign of i don't know love thy neighbor and all this good holy yeah. stuff it, it, mm, yeah it's yeah. too much so i'm just saying <sighs> yeah <laughs> on a lighter note i have a section that i really want to talk about because <laughs> oh, i thought yeah, it was sure. i thought it was a nice shift in tone near the end <laughs> when we meet derek i loved how jealous frenchy got and how there was oh. that like Rival between yeah. the two men, yes, and I. He's like, that. I roll. I've got a message. <laughs> Get <laughs> over it, French. <laughs> I was pretty annoyed at him at that point, honestly. I mm-hmm. loved it. I thought it was so ridiculous and such a teenage thing to do. Of yeah, like, that's true. Yeah. And I especially loved the because it's different in. Um, their groups and their dynamic there of like, oh yeah, I got some food for all the women to eat. You know, like I hunted <laughs> and I got this big stag or whatever. Because like, if that were me, I'd be like, okay, you know, because I'm not into that. But in their situation, right? It's like, oh, look at him. He brought home the food, like all this stuff. And Frenchie's like, oh, right? <laughs> like all this crap. I just thought it was a nice shift, something lighthearted to be like, they are teenagers, you know, and he's feeling jealous because he likes Rose and he's worried because Derek is like the strong hunter guy that Rose is going to like him instead. And yeah, I and he's like new that. and mysterious yeah. and they don't know him. <laughs> and yeah, I, I really like that part, too. It, it was, was nice. nice. <laughs> yeah, it was really nice to see. Yes, there's all of this traumatic stuff happening and you're in a really bad situation but at the end of the day you're you're a teenager you're just like a a regular person and you'll have those feelings the same as anybody else you're not above it Mm -hmm. because of what's going on yeah yeah and then i liked how rose was pissed at him because she was like why are you acting like such a grumpy jerk all day you wouldn't (laughs) even talk to me you wouldn't even do this and i was just like get it girl because a lot of people can have that feeling of like why isn't he talking to me but for her to like straight up be like Mm -hmm. you you are the problem of this yeah get over yourself and he listened and he was like god She's so right. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, yes, good. Because those are conversations that a lot of teenagers wouldn't know how to have. Mm -hmm, That's another important educational (laughs) part of it, I thought, was like being open with your emotions about stuff. Yeah. Yes, seriously, though. My God. Yeah. He's like, my braid's longer. I'm like, all right. (gasps) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was too funny. I also loved the bit when they were kissing and it was like she pulled me closer by my braid. I was like, oh, I (laughs) like that part. That was sweet. And also like, oh, you know, because (laughs) like, (laughs) oh my goodness, come hither. Like, oh my God. But I thought that was so nice because it's not that kind of book, no, but yeah, but I, the, it was, one part it was of it though. Very yeah. nice, you know. I just yeah. thought that was so sweet and like, you know, just, just. I'm not. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say like unabashedly being themselves, you know. Like yeah. we don't have a lot of men with long braids. It's not like a traditionally like sought after look for white men necessarily, you know. But, like, it's huge in their culture. Like, their braids are very important to them. And I just loved that little, like, feature, the little highlight that she wanted to include in that moment. I just thought it was, like... Oh, <laughs> yeah, and then I think both Rose and Frenchie cut off their yeah. braids yes. for yes. Minerva's funeral. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which is so powerful. Yes. Yeah, I got kind of teary at that part because I think Minerva yeah. was my favorite part of the book. Mm-hmm. The knowledge and wisdom that she brought and also her foresight and mm-hmm. the oh, risk yeah. that she takes to save everybody else. Oh, yeah. And you can tell she's like, I'm I'm holding them back from being able to go faster because I'm old and this is my opportunity to make sure that they have a chance to yeah. get away. Mm-hmm. So I loved Minerva. She was my favorite. And reading about them cutting their braids for her, I was like, oh, getting super emotional. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. It was just it was just so yeah. sweet. Yeah. I have a question though, because I was confused at the part where Minerva was hooked up to the machine and they were like gonna look at her brain. Mm-hmm. Um because then stuff started blowing up, and I thought she had caused that through her mm-hmm. dream magic, if you will. I don't know how you would call it, but she didn't die. I thought she died in the explosion. So then when she was in no, the truck, it, I was like, what? She's alive, but now she's dead? So I don't think it was magic. I think it was that the, the machines didn't work in their language. Yeah, they like, so, it's like they, so they overheated and like oh. exploded. Yeah, because, you know, um, they would have expected to be able to understand her dreams, but because all her life she'd only ever dreamed in her own language, um, it, like, overloaded and, like, short-circuited. I don't know all the technical terms for these machines. I don't know what these machines look like, (laughs) but I think that's the idea, is that it was, like, a translation problem because they hadn't, Mm. it hadn't occurred to any of them that it would be anything other than their colonial language. Typical. Yeah, they didn't update it. They just kept saying, remind me tomorrow, (laughs) remind me tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) And then it blew up. Yeah. I did that right before we hit record. I was like, nope. (laughs) But okay, because I thought it was this huge explosion. And I was like, oh my god, she went out in a blaze of glory. This badass, you know? And then when she was still alive, I was like, she's alive! And then she died. I know. It was a roller coaster of emotions. Mm -hmm. Yes. A lot. <laughs> Especially because they were so close. Like, they had killed everyone else, what, like, except for the van driver, and he just turned around and just shot her right through the van. It was so upsetting. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, it's it, everything's safe. Like, the rescue mission was successful. We're going to get her. We're going to bring her home, boys. And then, it, it, like, her, her just dying in Meeg's arms. And she was so peaceful about it. And, and just, you know, her one final piece of wisdom about, like, always go home. Oh, God, so upsetting. Yeah. So I wanted to share a quote. Um, It's past halfway of the book. It's in the latter section. And it's a nice section where Frenchie and Rose are running to water. They hear the sounds of water, and he's watching her run. And he's just being kind of swept up in the vision of her running. And it says here... She moved ahead, pushing through the dense bush like a coyote. I was seconds behind her, muscles pumping, face smiling, watching her break free and throw arms forward and back in wide strides. She was so beautiful. I wanted to catch her, and I wanted to watch her flee. I could find no satisfaction in my intentions. They were too tiny for the wholeness of her and who I was with her. I loved her. The certainty of the feeling was clear and bright and brown and lean, and it hit me in my throat so that breathing became weeping. I just really oh, liked that. That's so lovely. Yeah, I really yeah, that loved. That's very nice. Yeah, 
the visual of like I wanted to watch her, but I also wanted to run after her, you know? Which I was like, mm-hmm. oh. so just so Young nice. Love. Yeah, moments of yeah. that were in here where it was just so beautiful. So loved it. I love that. Well, I'll close us out on this quote from page 152. This is after Minerva has been taken and they're going through her belongings. So the quote is, It was Rose who found the jingles. In a small fold of hide were two dozen rolled tin lids. They weren't smooth and uniform like the jingles we'd seen in old pictures, hung from women's dresses, being danced into grand entries at the old powwows when we were safe to make noise. These were rough around the edges from our camp can opener, and stamped with expiry dates and some with company names. Campbell's, Heinz. We passed them around, careful not to slice our fingers on their jagged curves. But why? Aren't they supposed to make noise? Slopper was confused. We'd been told over and over again that silence was the only way to move out here, the only way to stay alive. It was Cheeboy who answered, out of character. Sometimes you risk everything for a life worth living, even if you're not the one that'll be alive to live it. Yeah. Ugh, yes. Minerva. So mm. beautiful. Yes. Yeah. I love well, that. with that, I think we'll end the episode. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of the BYOB podcast. If you enjoyed this and want to hear more from us, you can head over to our social media accounts to keep up to date on all things BYOB. We've got Facebook, we've got Instagram, we've got TikTok, Twitter, the works. Stay tuned after this to hear the first line of our next read, the mystery novel, The Sweetness of the Bottom of the Pie by Alan Bradley. See you next time, and until then, keep on drinking in great stories. Cheers! Next time on BYOB, the Bring Your Own Book podcast. It was as black in the closet as old blood.